Well, I was, um, I was ordering a, a pizza and a salad not long ago from one of my favorite pizza places, Valentino's Take and Bake, shameless plug, uh, close by me, fairly inexpensive, and the Take and Bake, and uh, so I can, you know, have Kyla cook it for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to talk about how I bake it, but I don't, so let's don't pretend. Um, but, but I was ordering a pizza there, and, and I have a typical order that I get at Valentino's. Maybe you have your typical order that you get from your favorite pizza place. And I was calling again. Um, usually we get, uh, you know, half pepperoni and olive and half Canadian bacon to keep our kids happy. And then we, uh, then we get the Val Special. And so I was ordering the Val Special, and I, I ordered this way, you know, I order on the, the phone. The guy picks up. You have Valentino's. What can I get for you? I'll have the vowel special, I said, I- except instead of the onions, can I get artichoke hearts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no problem. Anything else? Yeah, well, instead of the green peppers, can, can I get fresh tomatoes instead? And a, just a slight hint of frustration in the young man's voice. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, you got it. Anything else? Well, I'd, I'd like the Canadian bacon and pineapple and pepperoni and olives. That, you know, standard, no, no problem there. But I'd also like a family salad. Okay, yeah, no problem. That, that'll be, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, is there something else? Yeah, well, in the, in the family salad, um, instead of the mixed greens, can I have the romaine lettuce? Uh, yeah, sir, that'd be, that'd be fine. Is there anything else? Well, <laughs> actually, there is. The, those marinated cucumbers, they are so good, but my kids don't really like them. Can you put those on the side of the salad? Yeah, sir, that would be, that'd be fine. We can do that. And the tomatoes, they don't really like those either. Can you put those on the side? Yeah, that'd be fine. And, and what kind of dressing would you like? Well, now that you mention it, I like one Italian and one ranch, just... And, and, and that would be fine, sir. We'd love to do that for you. And, and I said to him, I, this last time I said, you know, I just realized that I didn't really order a Val's special, did I? I, I ordered just my own, build your own pizza, basically. And he said, yeah, yeah, you did. And, and I, I didn't really order the family salad either, did I? I just kind of ordered the salad that I wanted. And he said, yeah, yeah, you did, but that's okay. That's that's kind of what we do. And, and I think that if you're ordering pizza or a salad, and as long as it doesn't say, you know, no substitutions on the menu, then it's a green light. You just go. I mean, McDonald's taught us a long time ago that we can have it our way, right? And, and so Burger King, Burger King taught us that. <laughs> Burger King taught us that you can have it your way. McDonald's will match them, I'm sure, but it's Burger King. And, and so when it comes to ordering food off a menu or in a restaurant, go for it. My concern is, is this, that if you can make the jump with me from pizza to Jesus, which isn't hard if, you know, you hang out with the youth ministry at all, that, the, the two go very hand in hand. My concern is that what we do in ordering our special orders is what we do with Jesus from time to time. And we say things like, yeah, I, I, I want more of Jesus' grace. But those hard teachings of Jesus, mm, you know, let's just leave those on the side if we can. 
I, I would love to talk more about the love and the mercy and the miracles of Jesus. But, but the judgment and the hard teachings, if we could just kind of leave those off completely, that would be better. And instead of ending up serving and worshiping the true biblical picture of Jesus, we end up serving this, this sort of creation of our own thinking. We've made up our own Jesus, and we happily go on from there. This is a, this is a problem. I, I bumped into some statistics this week. Recent research from the Barna Group reveals that 92% of American adults still believe that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. A little over 62% have made a commitment to Jesus that they still consider important. The 92% isn't bad. The 62% we wish could be a little bit higher, and we're working to that end. But I'm intrigued by this. Only 56% of American adults believe that Jesus was God, 92% 92% believe he existed, only 56% believe it, percent believe that he was God. And about half, 52% believe that while Jesus was here on earth, he was human and committed sins just like everybody else. We're, we're just sort of building our own Jesus to go. We leave in what we like, take out what doesn't sit right until it's just right for our taste. And this is a problem, and I think we can see that pretty quickly. This is a problem because if our understanding of Jesus begins to shift, then the whole Christian faith begins to crumble. If we get Jesus wrong, then, then friends, we get the whole thing wrong. I mean, you can't have like, Christianity without an accurate biblical picture of Christ. And, and there's a lot of us and a lot of people in the world who are living their own brand of Christianity that has become built out of their own understanding of Jesus. Theologian Tom Oden says it like this, at the heart of Christianity is a relation to a person. It is not essentially an idea or just an institution, it is a personal relationship to Christ. And he's the one to whom faith clings and in whom faith trusts. Being a Christian, then, he wraps it up, does not mean first and foremost believing in a message. It means believing in a person. We're going to spend the next few weeks together on Sundays talking about this person. We're going to talk about Jesus. What a novel idea for church. <laughs> and hopefully we talk about Jesus all the time. And Jesus is at the center of our worship. He's the one that we gather around and the one that we want to give access to in our lives. But we're going to speak specifically about Jesus. And we're going to sort through, in particular, a few different ways that the Bible talks about Jesus. And and try to help us to get some greater understanding about who he is and what it was that he came to do. We're in the season of Epiphany, the season after Epiphany. Epiphany was this past Wednesday. 
January 6th, and in the Western Church, we celebrate that day as being the day when the three kings, the wise men, came to, to visit Jesus. But, but really, the word epiphany means manifestation or making known. And it's on that day of epiphany and now in the season after epiphany when the Christian church and the Christian calendar around the world and for a long part of history have celebrated and remembered what it meant for Jesus to be made known. And, and even in these days, to do what we can to make him known in our own hearts and, and in the world. And so our hope is that in these weeks, as we read the scriptures and as we reflect on what we find there, that Jesus, we wouldn't be the ones making him known, that it would be Jesus himself that is making himself known to us in in some new and fresh ways, but hopefully in new and fresh ways that are actually old and tried and true, and actually nothing new at all. In fact, if you hear anything new over the next three weeks, then I probably have done something wrong, unless it's just new to you. So to help us with this, I want to introduce us to a particular structure that Christians have used for centuries in order to to organize and to explain and to understand the, the person and the work of, of Jesus. This may be new to some of you, may be familiar to others. I'm not, this isn't new to me. Eusebius of Caesarea back in 314 AD was the first one that I was able to find that spoke of Jesus in this way. Uh, but from Augustine to Aquinas to Luther, Calvin, and even to Wesley, major voices within the Christian tradition have spoken about Jesus in these ways. The three offices of Christ. Prophet, priest, and king. You see, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed and inducted into their roles or their offices by by a ceremony of anointing. And students throughout the centuries of Jesus have noted and have noticed how at his baptism, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and all the powers and the functions of ministry, the prophetic, the priestly, and the royal all came together in him. He's the the perfect prophet, the priest extraordinaire, and the the, the all-supreme king. And so in these weeks, we want to come to see how the Bible shows Jesus to be our prophet and our priest and our king. We're calling this series Everything centered on Christ. And you can read that however you want. You can read it, everything centered on Christ, or you can put a colon in there if you want, everything centered on Christ. It pretty much means the same. Last week, we read in the Wesley Covenant Service these words, if you remember them, he will be all in all, or he will be nothing at all. Uh, uh, 
one of those phrases in the Wesley Covenant service that after you read it or after you heard it, you kind of went like this. <gasps> wow. I just heard a, a mouthful. I just spoke a mouthful. I, I, <laughs> I better think about what I'm saying here, about what I'm hearing. Jesus will be all in all or he will be nothing at all. The goal of learning about Jesus, the goal of studying about Jesus, his life and understanding his work that he came to do, is never simply for the the point of sort of patting ourselves on the back and and saying, look how much I know about Jesus, or somehow being good at Bible trivia games, or, you know, being able to spout off information about Jesus. It's always to help us to grow in our relationship to him. As the song that we just sang and learned at the offertory uh, sung for us, to wrap our lives around his life. Love that line. Jesus longs to be our everything. Let's just know that right from the start. He longs to be in sole possession of first place in your life. No rivals, not even any competitors for our attention and for our loyalty. He longs to be the center, the center of everything that we do, the center of everything that we are, not just another item on our to-do list, not just another obligation to fulfill, not just another name in our contacts, but the one who we look to to make sense out of everything. Of this graphic that Pastor Aaron made for us, just the, around those words, just all the, the, the stuff of life, the gear, the trappings, the things that we give our time to and our attention to, and right in the middle of it all, Christ. The one who longs to make sense out of all of these things, the one who holds everything together. My prayer, again, is that we get a clearer picture of Jesus in these weeks. The, the, the one we find in the Bible, not the build-your-own Jesus. And that we would allow him to find a home in the center of our lives. So let's think today about Jesus' prophet. And to do that, let's look to the scriptures. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, if you have your Bible. What does it mean for us to think of Jesus as a prophet? What have people thought about over the centuries when they've thought about Jesus as a prophet? What does that mean for us today? Let's stand, can we? This is an amazing passage of scripture that I want us to read. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to begin at verse 16, or 14 actually, and read all the way to verse 30. Luke 4. 14 to 30, and at the end I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Reading from the New Living Translation. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. The reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, 
He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And he said, you will undoubtedly Quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. To be a prophet means to be one who speaks God's words to humanity, God's thoughts, to be a mediator of God to his people, to be this one who who stands with God and speaks to his people. Moses was the first great prophet in the Old Testament. There were many others to follow. Samuel, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the list goes on. These who became the mouthpiece of God to the people, who spoke the words of God, the thoughts of God, the ideas of God, who called the people back to God, who who represented God to the people. Here in Luke 4, we have an amazing picture of Jesus living into this prophetic role himself. The difference, of course, is that Jesus was not only God-inspired, as were all the other prophets of the Old Testament, but Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus was God himself, representing the Father to the world that he had created. He spoke with authority like no other prophet had ever known before. So what is it that Jesus did in his role as prophet? Well, I'm going to put some things up on the screen for you today. You can write these down or just allow these to be things that kind of remind you or spark in you some thinking. First of all, Jesus came to reveal divine truth to humanity. It's a little small. Hopefully you can see that. Jesus came to reveal divine truth to humanity. Revelation, to 
to, to teach the people who God was. Luke tells us in that passage at the very beginning in verses 14 and 15 that Jesus taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. We need to know and we need to remember that this was the way of Jesus. That, that not only did he meet people on the streets and, and out in the, the, the neighborhoods and, and work with them, but he went right into the synagogues and he taught and he taught and he explained and he tried to break down who God was to the people who would have ears to listen. First and foremost, the Bible tells us that Jesus came as a prophet simply to teach, to reveal to us the truth about God, to reveal God and his truth to us. I, I am so glad that he did. Left to ourselves, just think where we would be. I mean, nature gets us part of the way. Nature, the word the, the Bible tells us, reveals God's glory. It speaks about who God is. But Jesus had to come to sort of fill in the gaps. To, to show us and to reveal to us just who it was that God is. Left to our own selves, without Jesus to come and speak this truth to us, we're left in darkness and we're left in ignorance. We're left to wander around trying to figure things out. I am so glad that Jesus came to reveal God and God's truth to us, to, te- to speak to us and to teach us. To give us the details. John 1.9 isn't on the screen, but just this, this little verse reminds us these words. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is why Jesus came. The one who is light to give us that same light. Colossians 1.18 tells us that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ came to reveal God and God's truth to us in a prophetic manner. And to that I say, amen. This is why Jesus came to teach us about God, to reveal God to us. His words, his words taught us the ways of God. His words taught us the ways of God. When he came into that synagogue that day, Luke tells us that he taught with authority. Everyone hung on his words. I love that image, that scene when he finishes reading from the the scroll of Isaiah and he hands it back to the attendant. And you can just kind of imagine the attendant reaching out to take it with quivering hands. And Jesus sat down and the whole place, he had a reputation, friends, and the whole place just hung on his words, just waiting to hear what was going to come from his lips next. And as he spoke, the first things that we're told after he, after he spoke was that they were amazed by his words, the, the gracious words that came from his lips. His words taught us the ways of God. His life demonstrated the character of God. Not only did Jesus reveal the truths, the divine truths by the words that he said, but by the life that he lived as well. The way that he modeled before his disciples and any who would watch him, the, the response to human need, the way he dealt with opponents and adversaries, his steady compassion, his life of prayer and service and healing and witness. He was revealing to those who would listen what God was like, 
who God is. If we want to know what God is like, we can look to Jesus. Jesus doesn't show us everything that God is, but he shows us enough that we need to know. In fact, Martin Luther said it like this. He said, Jesus, in Jesus, we have a teacher who is taught neither too much nor too little. He has taught me to know God the Father, has revealed himself to me, and has also acquainted me with the Holy Spirit. He has also instructed me how to live and how to die and has told me what to hope for. What more do I want? I think of some of my teachers across my life. Some have done a better job than others at making the subject material come to life. Are you with me? You can think back perhaps to some of your teachers. I, I, I think of a couple of my teachers from high school, though, who, who not, only, not only embodied the subject matter that they were teaching, or, or, or not only revealed it by the words that they used, the, the classes that they taught, but by the way that they lived. One was my Spanish teacher, my freshman year in high school, and my sister was actually in the class with me. And we both had this man named Peter Stone, who we called Pedro Piedra, because that's kind of how it goes in Spanish. And we thought that was funny. But Mr. Stone, Senor Stone, was, was this, this Latin American man, small, older, spoke with a heavy thick Spanish accent as he taught us this Spanish class. And not only did he introduce us to the AR verbs and the ER verbs and the IR verbs and some vocabulary like, you know, going to the La Playa or to the Estacion del Tren. You know, these are the places where you always go in introductory Spanish. I don't know why you go to the beach and the train station, but you always go there. Uh, But, but, Pedro Piedra not only taught us the vocabulary and the verb forms, but he lived the language. Just by looking at him, you thought, Spanish. This man is Spanish. And and, and he exuded a love for the language and a love for the culture that was off-putting perhaps to some, but it was enough to suck a few of the rest of us into that world that we thought we might want to learn some more. Think of another one of my teachers. I grew up in the Bay Area, and uh, this guy was my senior year government teacher and economics, government and economics. And his name was Mr. Spoden, Jeff Spoden. And I remember Mr. Spoden. I still friends with him on Facebook. And he was about the biggest liberal you can potentially find in, when it comes to government. I mean, he was straight out of Berkeley. And I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole the Berkeleyites too much, but he, if there is a person from Berkeley, it was Mr. Spoden. And he did his best to teach us government from a, just a neutral stance, but, but without a doubt, every, every so often, something would come out that would remind you of just where Mr. Spoden s- stood on political issues. And that was okay. For me, anyway, and for, I think, most of the people in our class, because he was not only teaching us about the houses of government and about the checks and balances and about all the things that we needed to know about how our government and economics work in the United States, he was also 
teaching us that it was good to be a part of the process. It was good to take a stand. It was, it was, this was, a, this was a, something, a, a discipline that you could invest yourself into and find real meaning and significance and, and, and joy in even. It wasn't just teaching us government. He was living us government. This is what Jesus did prophetically about the kingdom of God. He not only taught about it, he not only told us who God was and what he was up to, but he lived it. He showed it. He spoke and he was about who God is. And he spoke that prophetically into our lives. He came to reveal that divine truth to us. The second thing that Jesus came to do prophetically that we see in this passage is that he came to proclaim God's plan of redemption. He came to proclaim. Not only was he a teacher, but Jesus, my friends, say it with me, he was a preacher. I mean, not only did he teach and inform and instruct, but he inspired and he motivated and he gave life and he sent out and he did all these things that every great great preacher aspires to. Again, that, that scene of taking the scroll, reading from Isaiah, sitting down and everybody looking at him and those simple words, today, this passage, this this prophecy is finding fulfillment. This, this incredible word that he had spoken, this incredible message that he had given, the, the, that sent to, he had sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come Jesus had come not only to show us God, but to announce to us that God was doing something new. God was doing something new in the world. He was, he was, he was changing history in Jesus. His kingdom was now coming to earth. He declared, first of all, God's will for our lives. Jesus declared as that God was doing something new, that he was creating a new way of living. When we think about the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Jesus speaking in a prophetic way, talking to those who would listen, to any who would hear about the new world and the new way that God was bringing about. This, this new will that God had for our lives, that we would live lives that are pleasing to him. Not, not declaring God's will for our lives in, in in terms of our vocation or in terms of who we're going to marry or where we're going to live, but declaring God's will for our lives that we would be in relationship with him, that we would live lives that are pleasing to him. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 5. Don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus said. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came so that that the law might find fulfillment, that your lives might be radically different, that that our our, our way of interacting with one another and in the world might be totally transformed. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. This was the hope This was the expectation that Jesus was declaring. This was the possibility that God was making possible. 
Don't misunderstand. Jesus said, he came to declare God's will for our lives. And in declaring his will for our lives, he announced this amazing good news. He came to announce the good news of salvation. The scripture was now being fulfilled in Jesus. Not only did he call us to this new life, but Jesus himself came so that we might have this life. John 10.10, when he says, I have come that you might have life that you might have it to the full, I'd have it abundantly. This is why Jesus came. I, I was thinking this week about some of the times when I have just heard good news and uh, just how it makes you feel when you hear just good news. I remember when I was, I, I've told this story, so I won't tell the whole thing, but when I was speaking at a, at a youth camp and, and Kyla called me and told me she was pregnant with our first child. And I remember I had to walk from the dining hall where the payphone was at the time. Anybody remember those? And uh, all the way up to my cabin. And I remember, well, I remember not being able to feel my feet touching the ground. And and just just good news. But as sentimental as that one is, I, I remember another time when I was stuck in an airport in San Francisco, and I was just trying to get home. And I know many of you have been stuck in airports, and, and some of you more than others of us, and, and, and you, you know that feeling when you get put on that, that waiting list, that, what do you call it? It's the standby. Thank you. I knew there was an official name for it. You get put on that standby list, and, and you kind of, when, when they put your name on it, you try to kind of peek at it to just see how many names are in front of yours, and you just... You just are waiting, and you're just wishing, and you're just hoping somehow I can get on that plane. I just want to get home, and I'm standing by. And, and I remember this one night in particular that there was a long list, and I, and I, I didn't think there was much chance I was going to get on the plane. There was another flight a couple hours later. It was just going to be a late night getting home. But, but I remember, evidently, they, they had undersold or something happened. I don't know what, but there were lots of seats left. And the, the attendant at the front just got on the, the, the mic and started calling these names. And everyone who had, like, you know, hated each other up to that moment because you were in front of me on the list. Not really. We didn't hate each other, but there was, like, you know, glances of, you better not take my spot that kind of stuff, we suddenly became great friends because she was calling each of our names. It was like, hey, I'm on too. Yeah, high five. You too. Yeah, us too. And it was like the whole standby list was welcomed onto that plane. I just remember getting on the plane and, and, and calling Kyla right there before we left. said, I'm coming home. It won't be long now. It's not going to be another few hours. So you don't have to wait up too late to come get me. And just what a, what a wonderful feeling that was. That may be pretty small potatoes compared to some of the good news that we've heard. It's very small potatoes when it comes to the good news that Jesus came to announce, the good news of salvation. But it's similar in this regard that every single person who awaits it and and, and longs for it and hopes for it, it's available. And I can just hear Jesus saying, you know, that the, the, the blind eyes made to see, the, the oppressed being set free, the, 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 the slaves being set free. You know what? That's, 
for you. That's for you. By the way, it's for you too, and it's for you. Just come on. Come on, everyone. It's good news. It's good news of salvation that Jesus came to announce. Well, here's the last thing from this passage. Jesus came to call people to faith. Jesus didn't just introduce us to God. He did that. World, God, me. I am prophetically introducing you to the Father. He didn't just come to introduce us. He didn't just come to announce what it was that God was doing as if this this great announcement that could be made that we could all just kind of stand and be impressed by. Jesus came to to call us to respond, first of all, to God, secondly, to his invitation of salvation. I'm struck, and hopefully you were too, by the kind of the finalization or the finish of that passage that we read after Jesus makes his pronouncement and the first line of the people, they say were, they were really amazed by his, the gracious words that came from his mouth. And then suddenly, like, it just takes a wrong turn. It just, it just goes bad. And I want to make sure I get their words correctly there. Um, uh, yeah. As soon as they say um, they were amazed by his gracious words, the quote is, but how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? And, and right in this moment, we're, we're confronted with this reality that, that Jesus, as he calls people to faith, he demands a decision. There, it was either yes or no. Yes, these words are gracious and life-giving, and we're going to grab hold of them, or no, isn't this guy just Joseph's son? How could he possibly speak with this kind of authority? Jesus calls us to respond to him and to all that he has made known to us about God in faith. There would be no neutral ground with Jesus. He will either be all in all or he will be nothing at all. And this passage sadly shows the the spiral of those who reject him. Isn't this just Joseph's son? And Jesus saying, I know you're going to ask me for a miracle, but the reality is that a prophet isn't welcome in his own town. In fact, in the Old Testament, prophets often had to go and minister outside of Israel, and that's likely what I'll end up doing. And and the, the people from there said, well, let's just rally together and push him off a cliff. I mean, it just, how does it go? How does it go from isn't this Joseph's son to let's kill him? Let's push him off a cliff. It wasn't his time. Jesus wouldn't have his life taken from him. He would freely give it in years to come. But at this point, it was still the longing of the people. It shows the hearts of humanity. And it shows the decision that God, through Jesus, is inviting us each to make. Jesus demands a decision. And when he does... He sets us an example to follow. I like how the closing words of Luke's passage, he passed through the crowd and went on his way. This is just what Jesus did. And and where would he go? 
he would pass on his way to live a life of simplicity, of compassion, of love, ultimately of sacrifice, and in so doing would call his followers not only to decide for him, but to live, to live for him. Jesus is our prophet. He's a whole lot more, and we'll get to that in the weeks to come. But here today, Jesus wants to be our teacher. He wants to show us who God is. Let's let him. Let's read of him. Let's watch him. Let's learn from him. Let's be his disciples. Let's gather at his feet. Let's let him teach us. He wants to tell us what God is up to. He wants to show us a new way of living. Let's, let's believe that, that God is, is, is calling us to something more than what we've been, calling us to something more than just the routine, calling us to something more than just checking boxes and going through the motions. He's calling us to a new way of living, and he's making that possible for us. He's demanding a decision of us even today. He's our prophet. Aren't we glad? Let's stand together, can't we? Invite our worship team to come. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to us. Undoubtedly, we've been, uh, we've been guilty at times of constructing our own Jesus. We've, we've undoubtedly been guilty of making him out to be what we want him to be as opposed to just letting him be who he is, who you sent him to be. So help us to step back, oh God. Let's step back in these days and in these weeks and to allow Jesus to be made known to us, to be revealed, to be manifested to us in the ways that you would have him to be made known, that the word of God would have him to be made known. Thank you that he is your prophet to us. May the words that he has spoken the life that he has lived, the invitation that he has given to each of us, may it sink a little more deeply into who we are today. And may we, we respond with gratitude and may we respond with obedience. There are some here, perhaps even today, as we sing this last song, you may need to just Reflect for a moment just to see where you stand with Jesus today. You may need to just kind of open your ears in a, to a different level and, and maybe set your heart in a little bit of a different posture. And, and knowing that Jesus wants to speak to us, to, to, to show us and to invite us and to call us, we may need to hear him a little bit differently here this morning. And, and I would just invite each of us with all of our hearts just aligned to what God is doing in this place, that if 
he speaks that we would listen. And when we hear that we would respond. So do that even now as we sing and as we listen to Jesus. We thank you, God, for your touch and for your presence here with us now, and we worship you.